Hello, good afternoon and good evening. Welcome to Three Blokes and the Rugby League Podcast. My name is Jamie Robinson and I have Josh McVitie with me this evening. We have a very, very special interview today. The man Lalani Latu has agreed to join us, the Warrington Wolf and Tongan International. How are you doing, buddy? Very well, very well. Very excited to uh, to be a part of your podcast tonight. So, yeah, hopefully it goes all well and, yeah, you know, whatever question comes, I'm, I'm an open book. Good man. We're not going to surprise you with anything, mate. Obviously, this is going to be released in a couple of weeks' time, but it's currently the 2nd of November today. We obviously had the recent announcement of a second lockdown incoming, mate. How, how did you deal with the first one and, and how have you and the Warrington boys been dealing with COVID? Uh, well, firstly, my my daughter was just born uh, on March 12th, so just before the lockdown. So um, the lockdown came... I would say at a at a reasonable time where I got to spend a lot of time with with my wife and and, and both of my kids. Um, we also had my mother-in-law over here as well. So in in my own sort of routine that I had to try and stay fit and stay strong, I had my mother-in-law over here uh, helping out as well. So um, that sort of helped out a lot uh, and. The team-wise, I mean, during that during that COVID lockdown, our uh, our strength and conditioner, a, um, um, a, AD Gardner, he um, sort of just sent out a massive program, um, just detailing a lot of de- uh, a lot of stuff about high-speed running, max strength, power, everything of the sort, and yeah, we had a lot of targets, a lot of weights to sort of tick off. Um, during that whole COVID uh, lockdown, and um, I'd be lying if I told you I, I sort of went crazy a few times during it, um, sort of trying to pull my hair out. I actually even grew my hair. So, like, I've always had a routine of cutting my hair every weekend because my hair just grows rapidly. And over the COVID break, I sort of just promised myself, you know, let's just see how crazy my hair can get. Um, let it grow out to an afro, then I cut it into then I cut it into a mohawk. Um, then I copped a lot of stick off it, both from my teammates and my family. Um, and and yeah, it was it was crazy, but uh, I think for myself personally, it just brought um, it just opened my eyes to sort of what my wife has to go through every time I, I leave to go to training every day. Um, and yeah, it, it was just, it was just a lot of, a lot of time well spent with the family, which is what I, what I got out of it a lot. And the first day back, I thought, oh man, I wish, I wish I could just go back to COVID break, just waking up, doing nothing and uh, spending time with my family. So, yeah. Excellent stuff, mate. I think I think COVID brought a lot of new things to a lot of new people. So it's been brilliant that you, you had this almost a different outlook on, on family life as well. And, and and even growing the hair out, mate, I'm slowly losing my hair. So I count myself lucky that you, you've still got a lot of growth in yours, mate. Yeah. Um, it all started for you in Sydney, mate, on the 5th of February, 1993. Did, did, growing up, did you have a lot of family involvement in rugby league? Or how did you end up getting into it? Uh, I had my older brother uh, playing a lot of league and union. Um, uh, back when he was younger and 
he was getting a lot of contracts thrown at him from both codes and that sort of just sparked my interest. My mum threw me into league when I was four, playing in the under sixes. So you can imagine how big I was compared to the other kids if she's throwing me in at two years older than me. So uh, I I just stayed... I, I just stayed uh, two years above my own age um, in the in the West Tigers comp at the time. Uh, that's where I started out. Uh, and um, I started out playing actually with Aaron Woods when he when he started playing uh, rugby league as well. So um, me and him stayed together for a fair bit. And then I, I made the – I actually moved houses around the Canterbury Bulldogs uh, area and then that's when I started playing in my own age group um, I moved over there when I was 8 years old and yeah never looked back after that Did your brother make it? Did your brother sign pro? No so what happened was he he was in the West Tigers junior system um, and then a lot of a lot of uh, off field decisions um Affected affected his uh, progression in league, and so it sort of just took him off the railway a bit. And um, yeah, he just injuries started creeping in. Um, couldn't really recover that much, and then he just gave it away. But he he's been my mentor, my my um, hardest critic. Every time I play, he finds something that I can improve, something I can uh, keep working on. So, yeah, he's always been there uh, looking over me and telling me uh, how to be better. Excellent. I think it's really important to have that in life as well, in general, not just in your, in your career. I mean, you mentioned you, you moved into a, the, the, the system around the Bulldogs and you ended up getting picked up by the Bulldogs themselves. What do you remember about that? And Was it a good and easy conversation to make? Uh, I well, my manager. I first got signed by my manager when I was fifteen, and and he said, "Look, the Bulldogs want you to play um, in the Harold Matts, which is the under sixteens uh, junior junior representative side. So um, to to play, what uh, to be able to step up and play um, kids that are a year older than me, I felt." Felt really excited by it, and it was the first taste I got of representative footy, and um, that that's how I got it uh, ingrained in the culture of what the Bulldogs is all about. The dogs are all about grinding out a win, a tough, dirty win. It doesn't matter if we win by one point or not. Um, we're going to give it our all every every weekend, and the opposition's going to know like that they've been in a hard, hard, uh, tough match. So. Um, when I was 15, they brought me into that system. Now that I'm 20, 27, I still have those same uh, values that I that I've picked up from from Bulldogs. Excellent stuff, mate. I mean, you mentioned you went through pretty much all the grades. You played SG Ball Cup, um, national youth competition, then in, into the uh, the New South Wales Cup. I mean, how did you find that time period? Because, like you say, from 15 to kind of 19, 20. That's a big chunk of your, your maturity in life and, and not yeah. just your rugby league yeah, career. How did, how did that come on for you? Uh, originally, I, I 
uh, came to a crossroad when I was about 17, just coming out of school. Um, I didn't really want to play uh, rugby league anymore. And I, uh, I spoke to my mum about it. And she said, well, what do you want to, what do, you want to do then? Uh, I said, I want to be a chef. She said, mate. I said, oh, okay. I said, well, what about a teacher? And she goes, no. And I said, well, what do you want me to do? She said, well, I'll, I'll send you to the army. And I said, I said, I don't want to go to the army. She goes, well, then play, play rugby then. So those were my only two choices, and to further to further that, I I went well in my uh, in my school uh, studies. So um, in in Australia, uh, they they used to have when I was in Year Twelve what they call an ATAR course, and if you pass your ATAR, it's like you've passed you've gotten your grade in order to make your course in university, and that's what I did. Uh, to to go and study to be a primary school teacher, and my mum just flat out said no. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I've had that, um, and over the course, over the course of growing up, you know, I, I dabbled in a lot of uh, uh, like in a drug, like drugs and. And uh, alcohol and, and just a lot of bad things uh, growing up, especially coming into the under twenties. Uh, when you get when you get money thrown at you, and you get to play uh, professional footy on TV as a 17, 18 year old, your the lights start flashing in your mind. You know, you think, oh, "Man, I'm on top of the world here." And unfortunately for me. Um, it got the best of me. Uh, combine that with um, badly timed season season long in um, long injuries. Uh, my my mind wasn't wasn't right at the time. I started thinking about uh, not as a professional rugby league player, but just started thinking as as just a normal a normal person that didn't have footy as a job um i i didn't really care about trying to recover uh I, because I, because i was down in the dumps you know i i got suicidal um i had massive fomo you know fear of missing out on everything uh that that pertained to to rugby at the time um so it was a critical moment in my life where it was something that I didn't want to do, but that I felt like I, I had to do. I had to play footy and injuries came. Um, and then from that, it sort of just built me into a, a tougher person, uh, a resilient person. Um, and then I finally, I finally found my love just through mending my injuries. I found out that all right, this is something that I want to do now. Looking back at that, mate, if you had someone, you know, from 15 to 20 now telling you all these, not a meeting a crossroad in the life and they're unsure of where to go and, you know, they're feeling depressed and suicidal, what advice would, would you give them? I, I would give them uh, something that my teacher said to me. She said uh, at school, she said, if you, 
if you if you enjoy every day that you go to work, then you've never worked a day in your life. Uh, that's that's been something that's always stayed with me. Um, that if work becomes something that I don't enjoy going to, then it's it it'll be that that's in a in a footy related thing. Uh, if I if if I was dealing with all this. Um, I, w- I would simply say that you have to be open with a lot of people. Over time, I've, when I was younger, I used to put on a mask, put on a, on a fake personality in order to please other people. Um, and that wasn't, that wasn't right at all. I used to just fester up. And before I knew it, it would just come out at some random person or an innocent family member or a teammate who didn't deserve it. Um, just all these unresolved issues, unresolved emotions just coming up. Um, I, I would simply say that uh, it's better to be open with someone that you trust than to bottle it up and let it affect you uh, in a different way. Brilliant advice, man. I, I, I agree totally, I agree totally. I mean, you, looking at 2014, your career started to go up like you said you wanted it, so you signed at Penrith. I mean, how did that come about? And, and was the philosophy you see today with, with how structured they are and how they rely on youth and, and, and coming through the system, was that in place when you joined? Yeah, when, uh, at the time when, when Penrith asked me to, uh, to sign with them, uh, Bulldogs had just let me go. They said that uh, we can't, we, we can't see you being here because you're injury prone. Um, and then I, I suddenly thought, oh man, what am I going to do? Like, I really want to play footy, but no one's offering me anything. And then I, I had a call from Phil Gould uh, and he simply just said, look, I know the potential you have. Uh, I want you to sign here at Penrith and I can see you playing here um, for, uh, in the next few years. And that was it. He, after that call, he, I tried to earn back his trust through, through pre-season. Um, and then after, the, after one year, after one year of, of playing New South Wales Cup, um, they gave me my debut. Um, and just being able to be there for those first two years before I got my debut, they've always harped on the fact that they have the biggest uh, junior system, that they look after their juniors. And it, and it shows back then when they signed me, they had over 10, 11 Indigenous players, which was, which was a big thing back when back at Penrith um, because Penrith was known as being an, uh, as being close with their indigenous community. Um, so to sign on at the time they brought Tyrone Peachy, me, Jamie Soward, so three indigenous players. And then on top of that, they had just uprooted from the twenties uh, another eight players, another eight Aboriginal players to come and play. Uh, to come and be part of the NRL squad. So at the time, they were building something uh, not just with uh, their juniors, but with the Indigenous community. And over time now, 
you see you see the team that they've fielded. They've got about 10, 10 or so players that have already played together since they were 18, 19, 20. And it's just blossomed into this powerhouse of a team that that I hoped would would have won the grand final over the past weekend. But they live and learn. I reckon they'll be there next year. Yeah, so obviously you mentioned, mate, you, uh, your debut came about in August 2015 and <clears throat> you just lost to South Sydney's and you were mentioning Indigenous players there. Uh, in your debut, you came up against one of the, well, one of the best Indigenous players, probably one of the best players that's ever been yeah. in GI. Playing against blokes like Isaac Luke and Glenn Stewart, what was it like playing first grade and then what was it like coming up against blokes like that? Um, so Ivan, Ivan Cleary... Uh, brought me into his office uh, two, two days out from the game and he hadn't even told me that I was, I was debuting. All my teammates had been telling me, oh, you're, you got picked, like you're going to debut, and, and I didn't believe him. And then Ivan Cleary just brings me in and he says, um, you're playing this weekend. Your mission that I have for you is to is to try and hurt all, all the Burgess brothers. <laughs> and I just and I just sat there and I said, oh, yeah, all right. Okay. <laughs> so um, I, I'm not sure. I, I can't remember if, if uh, Luke, Luke or Sam played. I don't think they did. Maybe they did or they were off when I came on. But the... The call, the call on the sideline was Lani up. and he said, and he told the guy, he told the trainer to tell me, he said, I, uh, Tom and George are on. He goes, say so take him out, and I said, right, I'll try. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was just like this crazy, this crazy like moment in time where. Everything around me went so fast, and I remember I was breathing so heavy, and I thought, oh "My gosh, this is like, this is hectic. I can't breathe." And I looked up, and I and it was like maybe three minutes into the game, <laughs> yeah, and it was just this crazy rush of adrenaline just uh, coming over me, just like mixed emotions of like excitement, seeing all these big, big time names. Uh, that I'm playing with and up against. Um, and, yeah, I just couldn't really believe it. Like, I, I always tell a lot of people that, you know, just to be able to play one game was was enough for me, that I was just happy playing one. Um, but I've been fortunate enough to play, to play in a few now and to play over here in England. And, you know, never in my wildest dreams would I, would I have imagined that. I got to play uh, back home and to be across across the other side of the world playing playing over here as well. So you managed to play five more games in that first season, but you got to play second grade as well. Yeah. Do you think the opportunity to play second grade as well allowed you to ease your way into the first team? So obviously you're getting more game time and you're getting more of a feel for the game. Yeah, definitely. It, back home, uh, the second grade... Um, a lot of people tend to brush it off because they look at it as second grade. There's not, a, not as much exposure there. But what some fail to realise is that the teams 
that are fielded are made up of all first-grade quality players. So they're not getting picked. So they're still rep, rep players as well, playing in that second-grade comp. And the only thing that's different is the speed of the game. The whack, the impact of the game in second grade is just as hard as what NRL players addition out each week. Um, and that that helped me uh, in my preparation, um, in the in the impact on my body, um, for me to get used to. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed playing uh, second grade a lot uh, when I was back at Penrith. The, the squad itself in 2015 were pretty mixed. Obviously, you had some veterans knocking about, like you mentioned, Jamie Soward and Peter Wallace. But then you had young, hungry kids, you know, like, well, origin players now, Isaiah Yeo, mm. uh, Megan Campbell-Gillard, Happy Corisau. Could Did you have a special feeling about that team? Could you, could you always tell that these boys were going to go far? Yeah, yeah. It, all, all these boys had, had already been together uh, in the 20s uh, growing up and, just, just seeing them train, just seeing how they held themselves. Um, they were always going to be uh, quality players. Um, and if if Penrith didn't see it, then I knew that other clubs would see the potential they had. And um, what kept coming up every time from commentators was the fact that we were a young squad. Uh, we didn't have enough games under our belts. Um, no one really really gave us a shot, but now what commentators have said about us was that uh, when they've played more than 50, 60 games, then they'll start to they'll start to flourish, they'll start to shine. Um, and all of them now that are playing, like Isaiah Yao, he's he's the uh, the skipper there, and like now now he's pl- like. Uh, a bolter in the in the Origin squad, um, Nathan Cleary, you know, ultimate professional. Um, Upi Corusau, buy of the year, buy of the year from from Manly. Um, Campbell Gillard has already played for New South Wales, got to play with Australia. Um, Fisher Harris, no one gave fish, no one gave fish a shot when when he when he just walked in. You know, he was this silent little kid, this silent big kid that just didn't say one word to anyone. Um, but then around all the islanders, around all the Kiwi fellows that they used to just stick together, he just might say one or two words and then that was it. But then as soon as he crossed that white line, he just went crazy and he, he'd like talk a few more words and but the boys would listen. He was just a man of action, and he still is now. Um, that yeah, that team back then it was it was awesome. Yeah, we I think it's fair to say that we we cruised our way, uh, beating Newcastle in the final, and then losing the state final to Northern Pride. Um, that was that was a good that was a good um, a good year, good team, full of veterans and full of full of younger players. So in 2016, at the start of the season, you, you know, you, you've mentioned how much being Indigenous means to you. You get called to the All-Star squad and you managed to get a try. Yeah. Um, what did it mean to you? I mean, you must you just be sat there in a changing room full of blokes like Andrew Fafita, Sam Faddy, you know, iconic names of the game. Yeah. 
how how did you feel being in that changing room with them and playing? Uh, the the first time I got to meet them, I just rang my mum straight away, uh, and I said, "Oh, look, I'm just in the in the hotel room uh, with all the boys, just trying on all our gear." Like, and I and I was like, "Yeah, I'm sitting next to GI. Yeah, I'm I'm next to Friday." <laughs> And all these guys are like looking at me and I'm like just looking at them like all shy. Um, and yeah, I just, I had to like pinch myself every day to the fact that I was playing with, with, with these superstars. Um, and then me and Andrew caught on real well because me and him liked eating a lot of food. So, <laughs> so it, it, yeah, it, it went hand in hand. Um, it was me, him and his brother, David. So it was a bad combo, us three. Yeah, it was a bad combo, us three. Um, but yeah, it was just an awesome experience, awesome feeling. Um, and then my first time playing against Cameron Smith, who played on the other team. Um, yeah, just some of the legends that played on that on the World Star team. Like, yeah, it was just an awesome experience overall. Off the back of that, mate, you had an excellent season. Obviously, you played 14 games overall, 10 of them coming off the bench and, and the rest starting at prop. Um, the kind of the main difference looking at that, Anthony Griffin came in, obviously replaced Ivan Cleary, and, and you had a, a good sixth-place finish. Um, you ended up playing Canterbury in the playoffs, mate, and even turning them over 28-12. Um, what, what was different about that season? Obviously, you all had another year's extra experience and even Anthony Griffin's come in. And I, I even noticed as well, you signed... Good players like Trent Bowen and Peter Hickey as well. That must have meant a lot to you. Yeah, uh, Anthony Griffin came in and he was more of a dictator more than anything. Now, to some to some players, um, it doesn't bode well. But for me, the fact that he could tell me black and white exactly what he was thinking, uh, exactly how he felt about how I played, like I respected that. Um, on top of that, he trusted players uh, with what whatever certain skill they had. He trusted them that they could add that into his game plan at ease and that it wouldn't affect his game plan. Um, he, he was a family man as well. He, had, he always had his son around us. Uh, even on even on uh, away trips, he always just left his son with us. We always took his son out for ice cream, everything. Um, he he just trusted us. Um, after every press conference, whether we won or lost, uh, whether we won or um, lost the game, uh, I remember that every time that I'd watch him. Uh, answer a question he always took the blame never shared the blame on the players always took it upon himself to put him there first um, he was someone who who I, I look up to who I still talk to uh, today um, and he wasn't afraid to bleed new players I think in that in that first year he bled I think maybe over 10, 10 or so um 10 or so players, it was crazy the amount of players that that he brought in um, just that year. 
but yeah, we had we had a we had a good run um, leading into the game against Canberra, um, and yeah, it was a great team. We still talk about it today, you know, me me and uh, me and Sitter, um, and some of the other boys who were a part of that squad as well. I mean, it's a bit of a murky water, obviously, with, with um, Phil Gould at Penrith at that time. He was in kind of a senior role, but there was talk of him kind of mixing in between with players and stuff. But, I mean, what did it mean having someone like him at the club, so experienced at every level of rugby league and, and like you said, really good man-manager type? He, <clears throat> he, he, he was just uh, like a genius of the game. He, he saw things that people didn't really see. Uh, he would sit in our in our uh, team videos, and he'd tell the coach or he'd tell whoever's in control of the the laptop, like pause it, um, look at this guy, like why, like it was because of his play the ball on tackle one is what caused the momentum in order to score the try, or um, he would pinpoint one forward and he would say he's had a lot of injuries with his left with his left knee so if you have someone who's good at who's good and agile and who's able to step and move him move him off off his base then you get a quick play of the ball there he just had like a little like just a, a, a different edge to how he saw things when um when he would try and give give his input uh and as as long as the videos always took when he when he'd speak, I knew that myself and and all the other boys like took that on all on board when he spoke. Exactly. So, like, like you say, mate, he's an absolute. He's a he's, a, he's the godfather of rugby league, isn't he? Pretty yeah. much, isn't he? Yeah. He's yeah, got yeah, yeah. So yeah, much yeah. knowledge. And you mentioned that that um, eliminations final against Canberra. You were you were twelve nil down at half time, and you pulled it back a bit, but ended up losing twenty two twelve. Two games away from a grand final. What was the spirit like in the changing room after that game? I know it must be quite low just because it's such a tough loss, but like you said, for that young, hungry team getting so far, it must be something, you know, not ashamed to be, to be ashamed of. No, it, it just it, it, uh, created a fire within us that we knew that even with a young team, we can still, we can still reach reach for the impossible and that was trying to make the grand final. Um, I know I know for a fact that uh, during the year, a lot of boys were coming off contract and some of us players were trying to give up some of our money ourselves in order to retain those players. So that's, that's, how, that's how important it was like for us players that we knew that we need we need this whole core group to stay together in order to succeed. Like players were willing to give up some of their salary in order to give it to other players in order for them to stay. Um, and some of us actually, you know, went to the went to the people in charge who do all of that, and they all just said, you know, like we we can't do that. Like legally, we can't do that. So. Um, yeah, it was a sad way to fall out, um, but it was a memorable year in total for for a lot of us. I mean, you had a, you had a huge honour as well in 2016. You represented the New South Wales city in in the traditional match against the, the New South Wales country, which is obviously now defunct. 
you came out 44-30 victors in that one, mate. But probably maybe a bit of an unexpected pick, and it must be a huge honour to play in that game. Yeah, it was. I think it was the second to last New South Wales sitting country game that was that was uh, ever going to be held. So um, yeah, I, I, I was just happy to be part of uh, happy to be part of that whole camp, that whole weekend. Um, they had actually Tonga had actually rang me as well that weekend and said, "Oh." Do you want to play for us? And I said, nah, I, I, I think I want to play for City. Um, and I apologised to the coach at the time. Um, but yeah, it was just the whole, just the whole atmosphere, being able to learn from Brad Fittler, um, just to see the in, ins and outs of, of how he does things, just learn little things like, before we would leave on the bus, we had to do uh, mind, like mind, mindfulness talking, like meditation. Uh, before we left off, before we left to go onto the field, meditation. Just a lot of calmness, a lot of, a lot of keeping your mind at ease, being able to control uh, your body, your emotions, how you think. And I think. And I and I think like how you see New South Wales play always, they're always able to control uh, the ball, control the momentum, uh, the swing of things. Um, they're never erratic, and I, I think I think Brad Fittler is really smart at doing that, try, uh, getting the boys to be able to uh, be in control of their emotions, especially at Origin at Origin level. Yeah. The following season, obviously, Indigenous game rolls around again. You're back in the team. You had better fortunes this time in a 34, eight points to eight victory. And you came off the bench this time. You know, get another try. So that's pretty impressive that you score in tries. But uh, this time you had blokes like JT and Blake Ferguson, Dane Gaga in the, in the change rooms. And obviously, the, the upcoming and absolute superstar that the trail Mitchell is. Mm. Did you feel that you you know you raised your game to play these internationals and yeah. you know having them just around you gives you a buzz and a feeling of what you're going to do? Yeah. Well, ultimately, um, the the limelight of it was being able to play with JT. Yeah. Um, everyone was in awe of him. Uh, everyone stopped speaking when he spoke um whenever whenever we had practice uh he it was the most i've ever heard anyone on the field talk at one time um he was always just in control this is where we're laying the post we're laying the post here we're getting a quick play of the ball there and we're going to score over there he just knew how to run the show on the field um, and when, when you've got someone like that who knows exactly what he wants, uh, it makes your job easier. It makes the whole team's job easier. Um, and till then, till then, I haven't, I haven't played with anyone who's, who's been like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. He's some, some talent money. So the 2017 season were a bit different to the previous season. You know, you played 19 games, but all of them coming off the bench. Again, you scored two tries. I think you just like scoring tries at the minute. 
Uh, did you see yourself as an impact player or did you prefer starting the game? And if it's different to then, what do you see yourself as now? Uh, to be honest, back then, uh, I, 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 I didn't really see... Um, I didn't. I didn't. Re- I didn't really have a choice of whether I wanted to start or come off the bench. It was the mere fact that I was still getting picked. Um, that that's that was the most important thing that I was just trying to get picked, and I, I didn't really care whether or not he wanted me to start or not. Um, uh, and and now and now coming over here, it, I, I've still got that same that same mindset. Um, He's picked me twice now to start, or three, uh, three times to start, and it's it's all been the same for me uh, coming over here. It's just more so trying to um, be in control, just trying to do as much as I can while I'm on the field. Yeah, um, and if I have to come off the bench, then I have to try and create impact or as much impact as I can. Um, yeah, that's always been my mindset, really, just to get peaked in the 17 each week. It's a very humble approach. Uh, so, obviously, you finished seventh that season and um, you defeated Manly in the playoffs before losing to Brisbane, but unfortunately, you didn't You know, you know, didn't get a run-out in either. Was there a specific reason for that, re- for you not having a run-out? And how would you sum up that year for yourself? Uh, in, in 2017, it, it was like... There, there was some disappointing performances on, on my part. I spoke to Anthony Griffin about it. Um, I was pretty emotional about it, just knowing full well that I was a better player than, than what I dished out. Um, and then it ended, it resulted in a, in a, in a, um, a, a jaw injury at the end of the year. So I ended up breaking my jaw against the Bulldogs and that sort of just ruled out uh, my chances of being able to play for Tonga or being able to be a part of the Tongan World Cup. Um, and that just sort of spoiled everything out. Like, that was the year that Andrew defected. Jason, Jason took all of the New Zealand players over to Tonga as well. Uh, Everything just sort of spiraled out, um, but yeah, it is what it is, really. Like, I, I was just glad that I got to play. I got to score a few tries. I got to represent Tonga Midji. Um, yeah, there was a there was a lot more highs than lows in that year. Yeah, I'm just about to come on to that. That will be the next point. You know you. You got to play for Tonga that year against Fiji and somehow, you know, you've got two more tries. It just seems like you're, you're scoring for fun here. You know, with 26 points to 24 victory, you know, playing in front of 18,000 people, that's that's a feat in itself. But that must have been a fantastic night for you and your family. What yeah. what, what can you remember from that game? How did, what, what, how did you feel? What do you remember? Uh, I, I spoke to my dad. My dad was the first person that I rang when I... I got picked for Tonga and I said to him, look, I'm going to Tongan camp over the week. I said, they, they want me to play. And then he started crying. And then I started crying. And then the whole week leading into the game, uh, we had John Hopawadi there uh, teaching us hymns. 
teaching us the haka. We had the boys uh, teaching us the super, uh, the supital, and uh, just all together um, as a collective, they we went one by one in a circle, and basically, John John Hopewadi said, "All right, everyone, stand up." and uh, explain to the boys what it means to wear the Tongan jersey and who and, and, and why it means a lot to you. And basically for me, it was the, f- it was, um, the first time where I got to represent my dad and, and my, 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 Tongan, my Tongan culture and for that, for that, it just meant the world to me that I got to finally put on a red jersey. Um, and there's like, like there's a video that that's circulating around where someone's recording me, and I had no had no idea it was happening. But basically, I just had my dad. I just wrote dad on my wrist just before the before walking out of the tunnel onto the field and. I just sort of break down, broke down crying there because it was just a really emotional, emotional time where, um, like, it was something that I was really proud, proud to be Tongan right at that moment. That, yeah, it was just an awesome feeling all up. It's something I've noticed, Lilani. Actually, I'm going to go off script a bit. Actually, previously we've interviewed Peter Metalto, and he's represented Samoa at, at that level as well. Something that I've noticed um, with kind of everyone from that side of the world, you know, like the Polynesian and indigenous community compared to us, you know, Yorkshiremen and, and Englishmen, is you value culture and family as, you know, your kind of first port of call. Yeah. You know, Englishmen and Yorkshiremen are kind of like, obviously we're very family oriented, but it's kind of work and, you know, drinking yeah. beer and, and getting on with stuff. As you've come over here and now embraced a bit of our culture, what do you think we're kind of missing because um, you, you guys are so passionate about life and, and you know, mindfulness and, and culture mm-hmm. and family. What do you think is, is a big difference? Excuse me. Um, to be honest, I, I'm, 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 I'm really not sure, to be honest. Like, back home, because of because of my culture, it's always just been about what, like, like what you said, it, it, it's all just been about family, about, about everyone looking after each other. And I think it's because they brought that, they brought that mentality back from that small nation. Not to say that, that Eng- England has that England has that. Um, I think, since me, since me, and my family have been here. You know, Warrington and England in general have have been nothing but war, uh, warm and welcoming to us. Um, it's it's just the I, I'm I'm yeah I, I don't know. It's just the mere fact of uh, realizing for myself that uh, I've lived in more uh poor areas and so it's it's always it always plays in the back of my mind that these things like i i wouldn't be here or i wouldn't be in this place if it wasn't for 
certain family members, certain people. I think everyone's, everyone can be like that. Everyone can have that same family value. I think it's just the mindset that comes with it. For me, it's always been that um, I can relate this type of area, like England, to a more bigger picture of how I got here. Uh, if it wasn't for my parents, if it wasn't for my coaches, if it wasn't for my wife, um, yeah, I think that I think that sort of plays a big part in the Polynesian culture. Polynesian culture is just real strong with um, being able to give back to the people who have invested in us for so long in order to get us to where we are now, living a life that that we can enjoy for the time being. It's beautiful to listen to because, you know, you've got so much gratitude and, and you're very humble in general. And I think I wasn't, if for anyone listening, I wasn't talking down the auction or Englishman at all. Um, but it, it's just something I've noticed in general in, in many years, you know, yeah. traveling in Australia myself and, and, and meeting these new type of blokes and stuff. But yeah. talking to you and, and Peter Matata is, is, is beautiful to listen to. Yeah. Um, you know, continuing, mate, 2018 and 2019, you ended up at the Gold Coast Titans. Um, mm. How did that come about? I, I messaged uh, Garth Brennan, who uh, was my New South Wales, uh, my New South Wales Cup coach. Uh, he was an assistant coach to Anthony Griffin. We were really close, me and Garth. Um, he actually was an assistant coach to me when I was 18 uh, in my first New South Wales Blues camp that I played in. Um, so that's how me and Garth were really tight knit. So when it came about that he became the Titans coach, uh, I just got to say goodnight to my son. Oh, yeah, go for it, man. Go for it. <laughs> say goodnight. 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 Hurry up, Lennox. Um, and I, I simply just messaged him. Uh, I said, "Oh, congrats! Congrats on the on the coaching gig. You know, no one, no one, no one deserves this more than you." And he just replied back with, "Oh, I've got a spot for you up here." Um, and then that was it, really. Me and my wife sort of had to just sit down and think about it at the time because uh, she was pregnant at the time and um, yeah that's that that's how it came about to me moving up to the Gold Coast. It, it seemed like a, a tough couple of years for them obviously they finished 14th and actually 16th respectively and you only managed nine games in, in the two years mate what, what happened there was their injury again? I, 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 I so I rocked up to the Gold Coast thinking that things were going to be handed to me and that was the honest thing that I that I told, the honest thing that I've told everyone who said that I went up there and I and I wasted my time. And I did, to a certain degree, I wasted my time. I wasted my wife's time. Um, but I, I I waltzed into the Gold Coast thinking that everything was going to be handed to me because of the success that I had at Penrith. And after three or four games, um, my coach axed me 
and then that that was it really I, I was never to be heard of and that first year really rattled me because I didn't know how to deal with things didn't know how to bounce back from from the criticism he was giving me uh also juggling um my my uh my son being born um it was just a lot of things that that I didn't know how to take control of and it just showed that I went missing that whole year the next year my my coach um gave me a lot of a lot of things to improve on in the year and by that by that next year at the start of the year I knew that uh he wasn't going to play me at all and so my mindset at the time was I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and sulk I'm going to try and invest my my time uh and my body into the second grade club so the team that he had put me in was Tweed Seagulls and that team that team really helped me from the CEO uh, all the way down to the 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 water boy like literally they all helped me fall back in love with footy didn't matter if Titans weren't picking me they just helped me find my love again for football. Otherwise, I would have just retired after the Gold Coast gig. So what brought you over here, mate? Obviously, the start of this season, it's, it's been, I mean, it's been a bit of a disaster for, for a bit yeah. spot in general with COVID, mate. But what brought you to Warrington? My, well, my, um, my manager originally said to me, look, Wigan, Wigan really wants you. Um, and I said, man, I, I said, I'm not, I'm not ready to go over to England yet. <laughs> uh, and then basically basically it was just trying to just scope it out and see like what's going to happen here at the Gold Coast and uh, Justin Holbrook took the reins um, and then leading into Christmas he said to me he had an open conversation with me and just said look we can't we can't play uh, uh, over here. Um, by all reports, we think he thinks that I'll do well in the Super League um, and that he gave me my blessings to go look elsewhere. And when that happened, then Warrington sort of just fell into place. Uh, I, I had offers from Wigan, Wakefield uh, and Leeds. And so... For my mindset, it was uh, where's the closest church that I can go to? And on top of that, uh, at each team, I sort of uh, scoped out the guys that I knew there to make my transition a bit easier. And it was all going to lead, it was all going to go either to Wakey or Leeds. And preferably, my manager was, was making me trying to go to Leeds. Um, and then right at the end, Warrington came in. And then I sort of just put two and two. And I said, well, Sidalecki's Sid there and, and Benny, and Benny Murdoch-Masilla. And so I got on real close with, with both of them. 
uh, when I back in my Penrith days. So I just said, all right, origin it is. <laughs> me, me and Joss are two Wakefield fans, mate. So if you ever want to link up with Big Dave for Peter again, <laughs> so if you ever want to link up with Big Dave for Peter again, we'd be more than happy to have you, mate. Yeah. <laughs> um, how have you found this season? Obviously, it's been upside down, hasn't it? But you, you, like you say, you've managed three games so far, all coming last yeah. month. Um, yeah. Settled in. Pardon? Have you settled in? Yeah, settled in. Settled in now. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a crazy ride just with COVID and the lockdown and everything. But apart from that, uh, I've learned a lot, especially from um, some of the some of the older older boys in this team: um, Mike Cooper, Chris Hill, Ratchford. Um, even Gaz, really, um, even um, uh, Oslo, uh, Blake Austin and Daryl Clark, like just seeing how they, uh, and, and Jack Hughes um, as well, just some of these old boys who, well, Jack Hughes, he's going to kill me as well. He's <laughs> not really old, eh? Um, but they, they, they're looked at as the leaders of our group. Um, especially, it, it's really interesting just listening to them uh, in team video, um, uh, over the years, I've been I've been uh, fortunate to be present to a lot of great minds in the rugby league world, and you know, coming over here to England, it, uh, it's interesting to see how how their minds work, especially how they look at rugby league. Um, and then on top of that, you know, we've got uh, uh, Lee. Um, Lee uh, uh, Breezy, um, who's who looks after us uh, on the attacking side, and just seeing how his mind works—it's it's really interesting. It's just been uh, a massive blast just being over here in England and just learning. Um, Playing-wise, you know, I, I'd love to play. You know, I always—I'm always knocking on my coach's door saying. Uh, what can I improve on? What's the most that I what what like why aren't I playing? But that's every other player who wants to play. You know, they got to try and improve in order to get picked. So yeah, it's been a turmoil season, but um, yeah, we're finally, finally, almost on the last legs. Just yeah, hoping hoping that we can stick it out. <laughs> for whatever happens next with the COVID. Yeah, man. What's your aspirations now? Are you wanting to, to stick it out in RL for a lot, a couple of years or have you got another career path in mind afterwards? Uh, I, I want to I stick it out over here. Um, but ultimately, um, I, I, I want to do something uh, regarding like, my, like maybe even trying to go back to doing my primary school teaching degree. Um, or, or, or just doing something regarding youth. Uh, my, my, my biggest, uh, I suppose, my biggest draw in life has always been uh, helping kids. Um, so, if I can do something in that area after I retire, then, then I'll, I'll be loving life then. Um, but more so, really, like. Anything that's that doesn't relate to football, that doesn't relate to rugby, I'll be happy with after I retire. 
Thanks. I mean, it's, it's been a true honour to have you on, mate. You're such an humble and, and, and gratuitous bloke. I mean, you played for Penrith Panthers, Gold Coast Titans over there. You've had more than 50 games in the NRL. You played for Tonga. You played for City. You've had three Indigenous All-Star game appearances. And now you're, you're doing well at Warrington Wolves and obviously pushing on for a potential playoff spot and, and potentially a grand final game as well, mate. And thank you so much for coming on and, and we'll keep an eye out for you down the road, mate. Yeah, thank you, Heaps. Thank you, Heaps, for having me. Appreciate it, Heaps. No worries, man. Cheers, Joss. My name is Jamie Robinson. Cheers, we'll catch you all down the road. Thank you very much, Alana. Cheers, bro.